Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to the first ever house show, right? The house show? The house show. Not just any household house show. The house, house show? That's right. The house show. Uh, we're presented by the Retro Network. I, I guess I'm your host, Maddie Treats. I have uh, my fellow cohorts with me, a uh, couple uh, co-hosts here, the educator of excellence, Mr. McCarthy. How are you doing today, yeah. Matt? What on, sir? Looking forward to the first show, hopefully, of many to come along. All right. And my second co-host is the Masked Library, a.k.a. the BBC, the Blind Book Challenge, Mr. Kevin Decent. How are you, Kevin? Hello, everyone. And to the Retro Network listeners, you may recognize me from many posts on the site, uh, many podcast appearances, and now with two of my best friends, we are bringing a wrestling podcast to the Retro Network. Yeah, a wrestling podcast to the Retro Network. Now, people don't understand. We've been friends for many, many years, and we used to just talk wrestling while sitting on a porch. Uh, your mother's porch, Kevin, right? My my mom's in my hometown. We would just sit there and talk for hours about wrestling over the, the decades now at this point that we've all been friends we have gotten together to watch tons of wrestling, um, either on TV, pay-per-view, WWE Network, or live at shows. Yeah. Uh, we've traveled to shows. We've done fantasy wrestling booking. Um, we've, you know, tape traded. till we go that far back with it? Yeah. Now, um, it used to be it would be us three on the porch and a fourth member which was the Junior Bacon Cheeseburger from Wendy's because they were a dollar piece. We used to load <laughs> up and get them and just have a – it was basically an Andre Battle Royal of cheeseburgers, two mats, one Kevin, just going at it. Just going it down. I think we're undefeated I, in trios titles. How, how did we used to spend 30 bucks plus on a pay-per-view and now spend 10 bucks a month for everything – yeah, the big bacon classic that used to be dollar is now what two bucks? Two, yeah, three? you know it was funny. I, I think my father spent most of the money on the pay per views. I didn't spend. Money, so. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Thank you, thank you, big guy, for that. I, uh, I really do appreciate it. So currently, we are all bunkered in our houses, right? You're in your house, Matt, right? I am very much so, uh, Mister Library. Are you in yours? I, I am stuck in mine for until question mark. So I'm in my house as well. So we thought. You know, the house show, we got this house theme going on. Uh, We might as well cover the in-your-house pay-per-views. Seems like an easy concept, right? Uh, In-your-house was a great pay-per-view that was only uh, short-lived. 27 of them have concurred. And the first one really does hold a near and dear place in my heart and in uh, the educator's heart as well. Absolutely. Uh, so let's just kind of, before we get into the actual pay-per-view itself, uh, Mr. Matt, why don't you talk about your experience at said house show? Because you actually went to it live, right? I was at the actual show. Um, wasn't even aware that they was going to be 
kind of local to us, Syracuse being a little bit more than an hour away. Um, saw it advertised and was actually going to go all the way to Syracuse to try to buy tickets. But we ended up having a local store, an old music store called Coconuts that used to be in the Hannaford and uh, Kmart Plaza that was a Ticketmaster outlet and was able to get a couple of tickets. And uh, rather than having to drive all the way to Cuse, was able to get tickets there a couple of weeks ahead of time. Ended up being in the lower bowl for my first uh, paper or first, uh, I should say, Syracuse uh, show experience and uh, ha- had a great time. Yeah, the, the funny thing about that, which, which is just sounds so odd when you think about it, was the fact that you had to go to a music store to go to Ticketmaster because Ticketmaster was only available in small locations. Yeah, um, absolutely. Coconuts, and I think the, the next closest Ticketmaster location was the Montgomery Ward in the north. In Syracuse? In the Syracuse, which, Kevin, in I think Syracuse you've been kicked mall, out of that yeah. mall, right? Is that the same mall? <laughs> No, I thought was that at that mall? I thought it was at the northern uh is that like I northern think, I think I remember one time we, yeah. yeah, we all drove down just to get tickets to a show. It, it's fascinating to think about how life has changed where now we get upset. Oh no, I gotta get tickets. I'm in a queue for fifteen minutes on my computer while I'm in my pajamas. Whereas we used to actually have to go out and be there by ten AM and then just remember I, I always remembered being in line and say if there's only ten people in line, that first person always took their sweet sweet time yeah because uh, they wanted to get the right seats they would look to see what's available and just what a what a what a show that was in itself yeah and we just wanted tickets yeah yeah it was just, just being to- there now i was also there um i don't really remember it though <laughs> not gonna, i remember being there and the only reason i remember being there was they filmed a couple dark matches uh, with the British Bulldog and Owen for the King of the Ring qualifier, right? Is that is that correct, right. Matt? Yep. Um, and they at this point they would always have the Bulldog would they would pick a kid out of the crowd to carry the flag out to to the arena and wave it around and stuff like that during his entrance. And a kid from my section was picked, and I was so pissed that it wasn't me. <laughs> that it wasn't me <laughs> because I was adorable at the time. I mean, quite frankly, so. I, I should have been picked. I was not there. And actually, I think uh, myself and the educator started hanging out like a month later, if I'm doing the math right. Sounds about right. Yeah. And then uh, Mr. Treats and I, uh, a little while after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, being bunkered is, is, is one, it's not great because the world is falling apart as we know it. But it's great in the fact that I can get caught up on all these old wrestling shows. <laughs> right. You right. Know, as, as someone, this is I, – I was talking to people at work and I, I work retail and my store is luckily one of the ones that have shut down for a couple of weeks. This is the longest break I have ever had since I started working, like in in 20 years. Having more than a week off is a, is like – Mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. I'm – and I, I, I worked it where I had a vacation before, so I actually did vacation. Then my store got shut down the week um, ending the, my vacation, so I'm going to have like a nice three-week period off before returning to the workforce, if not later or sooner. I right, longer, right? Going on. Yeah. I mean, the world is just, like I said, falling apart. So, so in your house, uh, it happened to happen on Mother's Day that year, and the reason I know is they mentioned it 55 times during the pay-per-view. I they mean, did. Every face was wishing their mother 
uh, you know, happy Mother's Day. So uh, every so, face, even Jerry Lawler did. Well, yeah, brought his, his own mom to the ring. His mom right. was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyways, Kevin, well, you weren't at the at the show. So, why don't you kind of start off, kick us off, kind of go through the first match and, and what you saw of the intro and all that good stuff. All right, so uh, I went ahead and watched this on the award-winning WWE Network. And uh, coincidentally, if you would like to subscribe to the network, there's lots of free content right now as everyone's locked down. Or there's a banner on the Retro Network site, nine ninety nine a month. Uh, once we start doing live shows again, <laughs> which, I mean, they are, but they're kind of weird right now. So so question for you just on, on that, because they are giving the network away for free. You do have to create an account for yes. it, right? And it's it's only classic. It's so only it certain like stuff, this, right? Yep, the new stuff, the live stuff won't be on there. The big four right now, maybe, and a few other pay-per-views There's are like free. In documentaries and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Are they hoping that people just forget to, to like, cancel? Like, do you have I'm to sure. put a credit I'm card sure info in? Have we tried this? I just signed up for a Comixology Unlimited, and it's absolutely hoping I forget the free trial. <laughs> Now, my question, too, is can you go on and that – because WWE didn't even give, like, a date when this is ending, right? No, not yet. It just says uh, – it, yeah, it's just the free tier. But they, there's been rumors for almost a year that they're going to do tiers. Yeah, I've heard that, too. Some kind of so, tiering system with some of the then uh, the bigger independent companies hosting some of their shows and so on. Now, I think these independent companies, I mean, they're not running shows right now, so – this could be a lifeline to them. Here, right. we will make sure you guys don't fold. Here's some money for your tape library, right? Am I crazy well, for thinking that? Your content up, keep you, you know, keep you out in the open, keep you kind of relevant, and hopefully, uh, people will start uh, getting interested in some of their content. And then maybe this, once this whole thing with the pandemic clears up, then we'll we'll actually see WWE moving forward with the uh, the tiering system and and doing something more. I mean, Evolve alone has over 100 shows right. that most of us subscribe to network haven't seen. That's all new. It, it's older content because it already happened, but that's all new content right. technically for new viewers. And then said, hey, did you guys like this? Then join the 15 a month tier. Plus, right. plus Evolve has, you know, they had Keith Lee, Matt Riddle. I mean, they have a lot of the guys that were in NXT now as part of them. So that to me is an easy and it seems like they have a good partnership there between the two between the companies the other the other question i have before we get actually into the the in your in your house pay-per-view is mania is going to be two nights this year do you think that they just maintain that and just go two nights now i mean what a way to in just next year it's it's two nights as well kind of kind of like their hand was forced to do it and you know, maybe they'll start following up with what, you know, New Japan is doing because the the current five to midnight or, or whatever it it's is. It's too long. Such a long, awful, awful experience. And, that's, really if, and that's if you don't even watch like the pre-show and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So I, I'm just curious. I mean, that seems to me like it would be an easy switch. You could do, I guess, TakeOver Wednesday night. This is what I would do. TakeOver Wednesday night, part of... USA, uh, you know, a super show where you take three hours of network. Thursday night, Hall of Fame. Friday night, SmackDown. Then Saturday and Sunday, the two-night WrestleMania. And then Monday, Mania. I mean... Monday Raw, yeah. Or, or yeah, Monday Raw, excuse me. 
Look, we figured it out. I mean, there it is. We're in charge. We got everything going on. We can't figure it, it out. I can't figure out my life. I can figure out the WWE WrestleMania <laughs> week schedule, though. So, <laughs> so, uh, so Kevin, uh, you know, you know the audience of the Retro Network very well. So, why don't you kind of bring it in for the fireside chat of starting this pay per view? All right. So this is uh, mid nineteen nineties pay per view from the World Wrestling Federation, not WWE yet. And it's also, and this will shock you guys, it'll shock the listeners, it'll shock my readers and all. I'm going to make a sports reference. Yeah. This is very much a rebuilding year for WWF. But you have, you know, Hogan's gone, Savage is gone, Flair is gone. You don't have anyone that's been crowned the new star. You got people they're trying, obviously, with Brett, Shawn Michaels is at home. This is during Diesel's title run. But it's very obvious they don't know what to do. And they're kind of scrambling to make stars and have that, you know, your 80s rock and wrestling level again. It's right. just not happening right now. Um, but watching a lot of the people, there's great wrestling on the show. Like everyone's for for the most part, everyone on the show is talented. No one's a superstar. No well, almost no one. It's you know, you're not near your WrestleMania three and you know four levels by any means. Right. But also the crazy thing, when we originally watched all this, we were much younger, and these were you know grown adults at their job. Now I'm watching it. I'm like, it's a bunch of kids. Like to see you know these wrestlers in their in their twenties now. Right. You know, now we're the old people watching them. I'm like, geez, these were kids like just going out there doing the best they could. And it's kind of crazy to see. Uh, Now, we will start off, though. First match on the show doing double duty tonight is Bret Hart versus Hakushi. Hakushi coming out with his manager. What the heck is his manager's name? Was I forget. Shinja. Shinja. Shinja was the manager, and Shinja actually was the uh, one of the or- the original member of the Orient Express. That was the tag team of Sato and Tanaka. Um, he he was the guy that did the sit out power bomb, and actually introduced the sit out power bomb to a lot of uh, North American wrestling fans. Uh, a big important move that was carried over from Japan. So he was Orient Express before Paul Diamond was brought before in. Before Paul the mask. Diamond was put under the hood, under the mask as Kato, yeah. So the original Orient Express was uh, Sato and Tanaka. You know, um, Hakushi, great wrestler, never really got his due in WWE. Brett get a real good match out of him. Absolutely. Uh, I. I appreciate the ceremony in the match. It was almost Undertaker level of him removing, you know, his his entrance gear and everything. Yep. Which is really cool looking. Uh, before Brett comes to the ring, though, we have a backstage interview with Todd Pettengill with the radius looking mullet I think I've ever seen. <laughs> like, there's a lot of mullets on the show. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, just the time, though. But honestly, like, because... E- was ECW was probably Eastern at this time, right? No, I think they were still ECW because there's a few ECW shirt. There's a few ECW shirts of the crowd for dead center. Yeah, they may have been. They may have just started transitioning to the extreme concept. 
Well, yeah, because like, it was 94 when Shane Douglas had won the NWA title. So, yeah, and he had rechristened it as Extreme. So, yeah, they're Extreme Championship Wrestling by then. Okay. Brett's going all out. Like, I don't want to call it an Extreme match because it wasn't like a blood table, but an Extreme match in like a Malenko Guerrero, you know, hard hitting, um, not quite strong style, but right before strong style became a thing. Like they were going all out. That yeah, was it, was a, it was a stiff match. A couple of things that, that stuck out to me is one, Haikushi had that springboard elbow into the corner, which is just a thing of beauty. I mean, he, he, he was uh, very athletic. Uh, of course, the tattoos, which w- were never there during an actual house show. House show, yeah. <laughs> and then I thought the blatant use of uh, Whiteface by Shinja. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't age too well. I, I, there's a lot of stuff. And and as we go through in your house and any other pay per views, there's a lot of stuff they want to say. Well, it was it was a product of its time. People don't do things like that now, but it's wrestling, and they always have, and they always will do stuff like that. Right. That's Pushing just wrestling. Pushing the boundaries. <laughs> Pushing something. Yeah, pretty good match though. I mean, it wasn't anything bad. I mean, I I think the hardest thing when you go back and you look at older pay per views, um, and this one was May fourteenth, nineteen ninety five. So. Uh, was that 25 years almost now? Holy cow. Okay. 20, yeah. 25 year anniversary here coming up. Um, is you can't compare it to the, the matches of today because the styles are so different. I mean, the guys now seem to be way more athletic. They're, they, this really was a transition period for them. It was. You know, you, you saw a couple of moves that started to lay the groundwork for kind of what we're beginning to get more and more used to the luchadors, the smaller guys. Hakushi had an amazing acai moonsault from the apron out to the floor, and it was such a tight, tight spot between the edge of the ring and the barricade, but he still managed to hit it. It looked like Bret Hart's body had to tweak a little bit sideways in order for him to land to not crash into the barricade, but there were a couple of really, really great springboard spots that were done in the match that, you know, started to introduce U.S. and North Americans to some of that alternative uh, different wrestling styles from around the world that, that would now are just commonplace and that we see today. So, Well, and the, the setup and the, the tight quarters, like you're saying, and the moves that were being done, it made it all the more believable when Brett does the knee injury angle. Right. Right. Like, of course he got messed up. Jeez, that was that was such a, a hard-hitting match. I'm sure he got hurt. And you bought it. Right. Uh, quick thing, though, and that was the end of this match. Uh, the three of us were actually in the same building a month ago for a house show. Not the house show, but a house show. And we've been there before for other things. It's a fair-sized building, but by no means is it an arena. So to see fireworks was a little surprising. Definitely, yeah. And it actually cleared up pretty quick, too. Because, I mean, it's not exactly such an amazing ventilated place, but the the fireworks that did go off, it it seemed to clear up, at least when you looked at it on TV. Very soon after the start of the Bret Hart match, it wasn't at all smoky or foggy in the room. But I I think the reason the fireworks kind of stood out, Kevin and, and Matt, is because now they have a board in the middle for the hockey like you got your Titan Tron in the middle of the actual arena where it wasn't that in the pay-per-view that was, that was gone. So they have that air cover now. Um, It is saying that uh, they did draw 7,000 Wikipedia does for this event. Um, And 
when we went to the show, I read that they drew 5,000 for the house show. So my question to you guys is, do you think they could ever do TV there in this old... I mean, the building's old. It's so old. I mean, we're talking about a building that hasn't really had many updates. In Not many renovations, no. Yeah, I mean, going to the concession... I mean, you remember walking to our seats... You walk by, like, there's a there's a merch booth, and then you walk by, and you're on the floor, basically. You're literally on the floor. Yeah. I think if if they ran anything in Syracuse again, they'd wait till Syracuse University's dome is done with all their upgrades and try to do something there. Could yeah, be. The only thing with the dome is it's just it would seat too many people, in my opinion. But I could see maybe AEW running a show at the on, on center. Yeah, I can, yeah, see, I can that. see. Absolutely. The other thing too, just watching it, and after actually being in the, um, being actually in the arena like two, three weeks ago, was the hard camera was actually the way they had the entrance. The entrance was kind of off into a corner, and the hard camera was where the kind of entrance is, like on that side. So it's overlooking where, like, to our right would have been where we were sitting on the floor. Right. The, you know, the, it's just kind of fascinating to see how they kind of change where the hard camera was located for these for each event basically right right well and it will seem like a a silly thing for non-wrestling fans but it's very noticeable when the camera is not where it usually is um raw last night as we're recording this last night changed the angle so they're showing the entrance ramp and not a bunch of empty seats, the which AEW right, did the week before, and it made all the difference. Even as wrestling fans, we can tell if you're walking out the entrance ramp, the hard camera is usually to your right. We can tell if the hard camera is set up on the left instead. Right. Like, it's just different enough. I do want to point out, too, that uh, I know everyone's been like, well, AEW did it this way, so WWE's copied them, but... Ring of Honor has been shooting that way their entire time. Year, yeah, years and years and years. So it was smart though. AEWs did look great, and, and Raw seemed to look a lot better um, from this past week. Uh, anything else to yeah, say? Yeah, much better angle. Yeah, anything else to say on that first match? Uh, I, I definitely the the storyline with him tweaking the knee, getting out of the ring, and him rolling through the middle and the top rope, and then landing awkwardly to kind of sell a. You know, a potential injury. Interesting storyline, little touch that they added to it to get you to think, oh, yeah, something definitely could be up. So shenanigans, so to speak, uh, in terms of the actual heart and uh, Lawler match. And, and a good story that then went throughout the show as well. Absolutely. Yeah, they kept work following up with it with backstage vignettes showing him getting his knee worked on or icing his knee and so on. All right. So to, so to move along in this um, the pay-per-view. Uh, the second match was the first ever handicap match on pay-per-view, which is Double J, Jeff Jarrett. That's J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T-T. Double J, Jeff Jarrett. In the roadie uh, versus Razor Ramon. Uh, Jarrett Intercontinental Champ at the time, and the roadie had yet to wrestle. And so your average fan had no idea who this guy was. No idea. He, could he came from a very, very well-known family. And had prior experience, you know, was mainly uh, uh, an enhancement talent in WCW prior to this first run, but came from a very well-known family and and did a lot. Um, the average WWF fan had no clue who this guy was or what his capabilities were. And, and now a Hall of Famer as the road dog, Jesse James. Right. Absolutely. And in DX as well, right? Is, it, is he both? Is he two times? Nope, he's one time. He's only one in time DX. just DX, yep. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so one thing I did notice, the first thing I noticed was, okay, Double J's entrance. 
he's literally just standing in the ring with his light up hat and stuff like that. And there's no spotlight on him. He's like completely dark. That just to, to me, just kind of like, as I'm watching it, I'm like, well, what in the world? Like production wise, we are now so used to the manufactured and how beautiful the production of the WWE E is and you take that for granted when it when it comes to that sort of st- stuff. Well, and you can see I, I saw more in this match than I did Brett Hakushi. Um, one, the ropes seemed a lot lower than they are now. Maybe very, because Razor is so tall, lower, looser, yeah, yeah. But Razor's like ducking down to hit those ropes so he doesn't hit it like you know in his kidney area. So like he's trying to get top. it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then it's the old hard ring too. So the 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 rumor, you know, the legend is that once Vince McMahon started wrestling against Austin and he t- started taking bumps in the ring, he's like, "This is hard," and that's when they got their current rings, which have a little more give to them. But right. WWF at the time was known to have the hardest rings in the entire wrestling industry, and you could see that ring has no give. Right, it's like concrete. Yeah, I, I think this this match really, to me, had nothing. It was it's a fine match, serviceable match, but nothing of real significance until the end it's a classic match though it's a cl- it's a classic storytelling the two-on-one attacks the, the yeah back and forth razor young not um allegedly drug addicted scott hall looking great in this match right i don't remember the angle going into it where it was meant to originally be a tag and then somehow the one two three kid got injured um i don't remember that as much uh, at all with whatever they must have done on superstars or whatever to change it i'm actually surprised they decided not to go with just a one-on-one intercontinental match but maybe this was just supposed to be an you know an outcoming party for the road dog to show that he is you know capable of some in-ring movement and style so there was um two run-ins of course aldo montoya (laughs) came in at the end to help the same and then just just an incredible incredible run-in yeah it was that was terrible but okay (laughs) Um, but also too uh the debut of savio vega and speaking of no one knows, like at least at least you might know who the roadie is if you were watching the NWA WCW. You right. might. But not a chance, unless you were a hardcore tape trader, would you've known who Savio Vega was at the right. time. Maybe reading the the Bill After magazines. Right. TNT from IWA in Puerto Rico under a mask originally brought in and then ended up doing the uh, the Quang gimmick. For WWE through end of 93. Oh, I forgot Quang was before this. Yeah, and through a good chunk of 94. So, I mean, we we've, he was on TV. You just would not have known that, oh, yeah, this guy has just been given a, a, a gimmick refresh kind of deal. And here he is. The other the thing, too, is, is the way um, – you know, the announcers are framing it. Like, who is this guy? They knew nothing. You know, we, right. we, we nowadays you would expect the announcers to kind of color in who that person is, unless it's like a brand new gimmick refresh just because of the Internet. I mean, this is stuff that, you know, we kind of look at now and we take for granted, like before we had everything at our fingertips, we didn't know. I mean, you had to go based on how they would frame it, how they were they were looking and stuff like that. You know, it's kind of interesting just to kind of see that and to kind of compare it to now. Now they would at least say, oh, that's so-and-so. He doesn't work here. What's he doing here? Right. 
or Excalibur would run down everyone, you know, all the accolades and stuff. Yeah, it kind of came off on TV as like it was a random fan from the audience that was just jumping in. You had a bunch of referees that came in and just constant ringing the bell, ringing the bell. You had a couple of agents, at least one agent that came in. Uh, from ringside into the ring, and then then and finally a couple of police officers got involved to to escort Savio away from ringside. Um, it, it was just it was an interesting way to debut a new character, I guess, to have him thrown into the mix. And, and you could tell just as soon as he gets in the ring, you you could tell. Oh, okay, obviously this is not random guy. This is a trained yeah, wrestler. This is I don't know where they're yeah. going, but yeah, he knows what he's doing. Right. Yeah, just kind of, uh, kind of fascinating. So, so after that, anything else on the on match number two on the card? Uh, I got nothing on my. No, that was a fine I match. Mean, there was the one, two, three kid call in. <laughs> oh, you're right. He called in and, and Razorhead Kid taped on his on his boots there. In oh, that's right. I remember that. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Uh, so now it's time for my favorite portion of the entire pay per view. Is it is it the merchandise portion of the show? Oh yes, it's the merch portion of it. Now here's time to why. sell some shirts. They're selling T-shirts, right? So you got Barry, whatever his name is, coming out slinging shirts. It's a one-size-fits-all T-shirt. There's no huge. sizes. Monsters are huge. The guy claims it's an extra large, but when he holds it up and out, it's seriously, it's like a 3X shirt. How many huge. of these do you think they sold? Like, and it's an, it's an all-over shirt, shirt too. That's yeah, an oh. all-over shirt. Well, what's an all-over shirt? Well, the print's all over it. It's just <laughs> fascinating to me. Like, and you had to call. It was I think nineteen ninety-nine or the three ninety-five for shipping and handling. Yada yada yada. That sort of stuff. It's just fascinating to me. Like they thought a good idea was a one-size-fits-all shirt. It makes me think they accidentally ordered too much. Well, to me, right. I think I think it makes me wonder because because like you said earlier things were so bad at the time is could they only order one size of the shirt maybe because i mean this is post steroid scandal hogan leaves wcw picks him up a lot of other people leave to go with him they try brett they're gonna try sean michaels soon or no had they already as a world champ I'm trying no. to think my world champ no, no 95 no, no probably okay 96. so Mania so we went, we went yep. Brett, Backlund, Diesel by this point. Right. Okay. And Diesel, and he, Kevin Nash will flat out say it in interviews now, hey, we need to get everyone off steroids while we're being investigated. Oh, this guy is still seven foot because steroids don't make you seven foot tall. Right, right. Let's see what we can do with him. Yeah, you can tell uh, from from little things what little money there was and who they're using, who they're not using, who's getting brought in, who isn't. And, right. uh, you know, we'll have a uh, next episode. We'll have another batch to go through. And I mean, we're still a couple years away from them really starting to build and come back up into something special. Probably this T-shirt was one of the reasons why the Hebners ended up getting into their side business <laughs> with everything going on. So I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it, it looks, it looks just generic and just, just over the top, just trying to shove it down her throat of, Hey, you know, buy this one size. Has, off, blah, blah, has blah. anyone ever sued someone for a one size fits all if it doesn't fit? I have no idea. I'm, cu- I'm just like out of curiosity. Like, if you have Certainly someone wouldn't have fit Yoko that night. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yoko, <laughs> we'll get him. Or Mabel. <laughs> no, no, Yoko and Mabel were not wearing the one size fits all Bret Hart all over shirt. Oh, look at the back, Vince. Oh, that's a shirt. 
It's like, what the hell's going on? So, uh, yeah, it's my favorite segment of the whole show. So, uh, so the next match, we got Mabel versus Adam Bomb in a, now on your pay-per-view, you got a King of the Ring qualifier. Very weird to start promoting the next pay-per-view, mid-current pay-per-view, with a qualifying match for the tournament. Now, isn't a qualifying match just the extension of the tournament? Essentially. Yeah. I mean, you're taking like, the 16 guys that are in. Well, they ended up changing it due to, and we'll talk about another match later in the card, um, but give their preliminary round matches to qualify to meet the get into the quarterfinals. But, yeah, basically just trying to get it down to the the top eight that will be on the well then on the pay-per-view show in future years they ended up doing just the top four only going to semifinals and finals but and is this match like you said it's almost like a preview of the king of the ring i mean this match is basically just a squash match for just a squash match kind of to get over mabel as well we're gonna push him as the next monster going towards you know kevin or diesel uh, to be a contender for, for the, the, the WWF championship. I wonder if the thinking, too, was the fact that these in-your-house pay-per-views charged a lesser rate than your big five at this point, or big four, or whatever you want to say. So right. these pay-per-views were fourteen ninety nine, whereas the other ones were, what, twenty four ninety nine. Twenty nine. dollars Was yeah. that, Were they 29 at that point? And I, I've listened to a few other podcasts, especially the Something to Wrestle With, in terms of, like, the smaller price point. Yeah, we're only doing the... This two, up to two hours of content, but they still stuck around and ended up taping additional stuff for like Coliseum videos and and so on. So they had the production there. They had you know, all the, the you know everything there. The cameras there. So even though they only did the the actual pay per view, and this one was only apparently on the network. I think it was like an hour and forty minutes of actual real content. Um, but I mean, when we were there, it was probably about a good three three and a half hour show. Yeah, yeah, with all the um, the dark matches and whatnot. So, Kevin, anything you want to add to, to this match? I mean, there's really nothing to talk about during this match. There, there, there's not, but, you know, because uh, Mabel, big guy, could move a little bit. Adam Bomb was more mobile than I remember. Absolutely. A couple of moves that he had. The uh, slingshot clothesline from outside on the ring apron into the ring. More of a glancing blow onto Mabel with that clothesline, but when he went off the top rope with that yeah. clothesline, he jumped pretty far to get to Mabel, and, and Mabel sold it like a champ. Now, what I was thinking watching it, though, is talk about two guys that would have benefited from today having the Performance Center. Oh, absolutely. To get more training, more specialization, figure out what they can and can't do. Right. Um, I mean, Mabel came out with Oscar, but he didn't do anything, but if he had a real manager... Like, those are two guys, if they came along now, could have been stars, could have been world champs with just, you know, more focus and more training and more opportunity. I would be very curious to see a talent like that now. Right. Like, could Mabel, would Mabel have still been Mabel and, you know, Big Day V and Viscera not done much? Or could he be like a Keith Lee? Right. Or, or you know, on the other end of things, would a Mabel have even made it to TV? You know, that's true. That's very good. Look at how many people flaked so out from. Exactly. We've seen, yeah, we've seen lots of talent that get signed Performance Center and then they leave because they're like, "This is too hard." Right. I think I think Adam Bob probably would have been more. Um, 
better suited for that than Ma- than Mabel. I think he would have had a better better shot personally. At, at right. least gotten up to like intercontinental level. Probably. All right. The next match on it is our tag team title match, which I feel bad for the uh, just because goes to show you how much Vince hates tag team wrestling. The Smoking Guns. One, okay, Matt just said the pay-per-view was an hour and 45 minutes. The Smoking Guns don't even get an entrance on the pay-per-view. They're in the ring. They're already in the ring by the time they cut back from a backstage segment or something. It's from the 1-900 phone line. Correct. Yeah. Where they're interviewing the winners and losers um, for that $1.49 a minute. And, of course, the number is not working because that's what it tells me. I kind of want to call that number. I was thinking the same <laughs> thing see, watching like right it. now while we're on the phone just to see what it, <laughs> I just didn't write it down. So uh, so anyways, uh, they take it on Yoko and, and Owen Hart. Did they have a tag team name at the time or was it just Yoko and Owen? No, I think for no. the entire time they always just stayed as Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Uh, so during so during this, I have a couple just a quick notes. Uh, my two notes says it cuts to Brett during the match with the ice on his knee. Ice on his knee. Once yep. again, showing how much they love tag team wrestling in the WWF, WWE. And <laughs> Yoko is huge. <laughs> He's massive. Massively huge. And that yeah. wasn't even his biggest. No. Could still move, and, though. Could yeah. Move. This is yeah. this is almost like uh, Andre and Haku is the classical connection of hey we need this attraction out there which was Andre and this one Yoko but right. he can't move so let's pair him with someone who can move and then he'll come do the in majority and do a of the work do be the spot monkey you know do do the significant be be the one where you know in the fans eyes oh it's Owen that's going to be the one that takes the fall because they're never going to get Yoko off his feet or be able to do enough significant damage to put him in any kind of pin, pinning predicament or submission predicament whatsoever one thing I will say is at the beginning of the match when they they're just the match is about to start uh, Billy Gunn he looks so thin yeah, to what we're so used to of Billy Gunn and the DX and then his singles run a lot, lot smaller than what we're used to. So you could definitely see the the evolution uh, of the Billy Gunn character from him being, you know, the, the the cowboy gimmick and him being brought in to I mean, gosh, he's still going strong with AEW today. He just he didn't look as tall as an, an imposing in that match compared to, uh, you know, what we see and what we're used to him in the most recent years and times of him being in the ring. He's just, he's gotten so much bigger these days. So, I mean, he's the smaller guy of the team, oh, which is team, weird. Yeah. With his, with his, uh, brother Bart gun. <laughs> I forgot that their gimmick was they were brothers. Yeah. You know, it's funny though. When you see Billy gun now, he's so much, you don't realize how big he was though. I mean, he's oh, yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's like a short six five, a short six six. But man, he is huge. I mean, absolutely. Going, going to WrestleCon and seeing these guys in person and stuff, you're shocked at like Booker T is probably like a, maybe an inch taller than my brother. And you don't you don't think of when you see these guys, you know, they're all large in life. Sometimes guys are like deceptively bigger than what you thought. Like uh one, two, three kid, Waltman a lot bigger than you would think, like just because yeah. he's portrayed as so small on TV. Right. Absolutely. Now I was wondering, watching this, when was the house show in, not, 
sorry, a house show, because we're the house show in Watertown, in which the Smoking Guns and Owen Yoko had a tag title match. Would have been about a month or two later. It was in June, late June, early July, when the Watertown house show happened. Okay, because I'm watching this. I'm like, we saw a lot of these same guys in the same feud. So I knew it was right. around the same time frame. But that, that was the first show I ever went to. I think this was the whole – I think now it's so much different just because the amount of TV they have to fill. I mean, you, they were only getting, what, one hour for Raw at this point? Was it two hours? I think it was just one. No, right? Raw was one hour. Was, and then, yeah, uh, they didn't go to two until after Nitro started. <laughs> yeah, and I think Superstars was still going. Superstars and, and even Gosh. And wasn't uh, was Superstars still just like enhancement matches? I mean, pretty much? For the most part, yeah. And it yeah. wasn't storyline-based. So you would get three to four pay-per-views out of one feud. Yeah, right. it wasn't burnout. Yeah, and this is still probably kind of like the blow-off to WrestleMania. I mean, which is, no, well, it would be the start of, because isn't WrestleMania usually the blow-off? So this would be like the start of feuds that would carry through the next three months. Right. Yeah, to get to SummerSlam and then start building up again. Because it used to be, it used to, you know, in the day of the big four pay-per-views and not four as much cycles, TV. Right. Yeah, you, you say, okay, what's our WrestleMania card for next year? Now let's book backwards to get us to that point. Right, exactly. Um, so following that match, uh, we had a, an interview with Diesel uh, backstage where I, and I had to look this up because I wanted to see if it was true or not. Uh, his mother did just pass away in December. That past December, yeah. So this was his first Mother's Day without his without his mom. So, um, oh, did this did this pay per view take place on Mother's Day? Yeah, you didn't know that. Oh no, I guess I thought they wouldn't mention it. It was a one size fits all Mother's Day. One size fits all for all the mothers out there. Um, <laughs> Jerry Lawler, of course, came down to the ring with his mom, which was a woman half his age. Uh, but not usually half his age, like he Ill- allegedly goes for. But like. <laughs> Still, still an adult half his age. Um, so they went to. I, I really like this too, and, and this is something that you saw kind of with almost like every other match. Uh, they would interview usually um, a couple people in the gorilla position. Um, you know, we kind of see that now on Raw a little bit, uh, where you know they throw to Charlie and she's interviewing Ricochet usually, <laughs> um, or, or Ray Mysterio. It's usually an under undersized guy, uh, but they were doing this for Bret Hart. They did it for uh, Razor. Um, just kind of interesting to kind of see, and I, and I did like that right before the big match. It kind of gives it like a, um, a UFC, MMA, boxing sort of feel to it. Um, and then, of course, uh, this was the big reveal where Brett reveals that his knee injury, he was faking it to pull one over on uh, uh, the king. Right. So it, it shores up that little uh, little bit. And then we get into uh, Jerry Lawler versus uh, Bret Hart. <laughs> I, yeah, right? Is that no. For for the fanfare that Lawler has, I've I've never been a huge fan of his in ring work. I mean, um, and, and it's not a matter of you know he he was a much older individual, blah blah blah. I mean, he's certainly amazing on the mic and can stir up stuff to get get you all wound up to you know buy into any feud. It's just, you know, the work in the ring to me for this trying to be a supposed like rebuilding year, uh, the work that he was doing, I just, I was not a fan of it whatsoever. And, uh, you know, Brett's going to, Brett did, you know, as Brett will always do and will get a match out of anybody. But 
the 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 chicken you know what heel that that Lawler is always portrayed. I just was never a fan of the actual in-ring work that that went along with it kind of deal. No, and and I agree with you. And I was thinking the same thing. And I mean, I maybe at some point I need to go back and see like Lawler as AWA World Champion or something like that to see him in his prime. But it seemed like they wanted Lawler to be the new Bobby the Brain Heenan. Right. And that would have been fine. Him as a as the heel announcer and him as a manager and him as the, you know, oh, I'm, I'm stuck as the third person in this tag match. Or if the if the face wins, they get five minutes in the ring with me. Something like that, where he comes in, tries to avoid it and gets beat up and, you know, leaves with his tail between legs and the crowd pops. But to have him as the focal point in the heel role as a wrestling match is not working. I don't know if he's not trying. I don't know if that's always been his style. I don't know if he, you know, needed to rest because he had a show in Memphis the next day. I don't know why. But I'm not, you're, you're right. I'm not getting why is this guy a star as a wrestler out of it? I get as an announcer, I get as, like you're saying, uh, uh, a crowd's, you know, to stir up the crowd, to get the crowd angry. But I don't get it as an in-ring performer. Yeah, I, I think Lawler is the one person, you know, kind of to piggyback on what Matt said, at least for us. I mean, I think for us, we remember him from those those WWF days where he was right. doing much less. But has there ever been someone that gets more out of a gimmick than him? I mean, the equivalent now, and this is crazy, of someone with – it's almost like a one-note gimmick. And, and back in the day, I mean, he was fantastic with it. If you go – and like you said, his promo work and his character work was great back in the day. Absolutely. The equivalent now that the only person I can think of is Joey Ryan who is a one note gimmick, but everyone seems to play along and loves him, especially in small doses. If you give the guy an hour long, you know, he's not going to put on a Matt classic or anything like that. You know, well, I think with Lawler, it's just, he's over, he's over his prime. I agree. Yeah. Even, even there, there was one thing in this match that I, that I thought was very odd was the ref bump. So, <laughs> Oh, it was so weird. It takes yeah. the bump. Brett like sees him, take the bump and then doesn't check on him. And he's the face. Like he just goes back and starts, starts putting on the uh, figure four or sharpshooter or whatever it is. And then, you know, Haikushi comes out and costs Brett the match, you know, takes him out. And, and the ref tying his foot up in the ropes, which that was a, you know, we, we've seen that move. Um, you know, the, uh, Andre used to get his arms tied up in the right. ropes. Um, Mick Foley infamously would get his head tied in the ropes and then lost the ear during it. But we've seen, you know, Rand, uh, didn't Sean get tangled in uh, WrestleMania 10? The WrestleMania the match, yep. In the ladder match. So we've seen it sometimes, but not really for a ref. For and a ref. it's also, it was so awkward. You thought, like, he just hurt himself. Now, right. That's one thing, too. You don't see often now. You don't see people get tied up in the ropes that, that much anymore. In different ropes, too. Different ropes. Yeah, they were a lot looser back then. I don't think there is that there that ability to yank those ropes to be able to do that kind of tie up anymore. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was trying to kind of get at because I know we talked about the differences in the ring and stuff like that um, over the years and and seeing how it is. I was just curious if you guys thought that would have been you know the 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 rope um, the ropes did seem a lot looser. One thing that by and maybe it's just me being nitpicky the finish of the match where. You know, Lawler does the 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 roll the wrap up pin where he grabs both of the legs 
like as if he was going to do like a Boston Crab, but then he does that front roll flip on top. If you look at him, Lawler's shoulders, he is not on top of Bret Hart's body pinning him. He's got his legs holding on, but like the way that Bret is rolled back on himself, his legs are on top of Lawler's body, and Lawler's body is flat. Both of his shoulders are also on the mat. You know, maybe it's just me being a little nitpicky about about that finish, but... It, it, it comes off as like a double pin where Lawler pretty much pinned his body down onto the mat. You know, of course, the whole ending, you know, made sense for, for the finish. But it's just, again, maybe it's just me and I, I don't want to call it sloppy work. But it just, I, I just never been a fan of Lawler's in-ring style. Oh, and it's, uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but we've known for a while that if a wrestler if they're even if they're not supposed to lose the match or lose at that time if they don't get the count right and don't kick out at three the ref is supposed to call it right but apparently that now goes for count outs as well uh senior referee charles robinson was on a podcast recently saying that's the new decree if the wrestler's not back in the ring at the 10 count you go ahead and do a call, count out even if that's count, not, right yep even if it's not the planned finish so uh, i mean they weren't doing that then so even if Lawler, you know, was out of position or whatever, the ref still has to call the planned ending. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of that too probably has to do with the fact that the the internet. I mean, I mean now you can get you know back in the day they probably would have just restarted, it, shot it again, shot the uh, the uh, the finish and sent it away. You know, like oh let's have these people leave. We can place the cameras in certain areas. That's also too kind of why I'm very interested in how this WrestleMania is going to look with them being able to tape everything. I mean, it could be something where you're like, holy cow, this was actually awesome because the vision got, you know, the, the vision was perfect. Um, right. But I wonder too, how it affects wrestlers. I mean, we saw the video of them being quarantined and stopping during the match for SmackDown yeah. and just standing around. Like, how does that, how does that change someone like, um, a Daniel Bryan or, or someone where you think they're, they're painting this masterpiece in the ring and they stop halfway through to reshoot something. Like I, I'm just, I'm just kind of fascinating how that'll look. And I, I know we've talked about this off, obviously off podcast of, I can't wait for the documentary of how they put together this WrestleMania, WrestleMania 24 uh, seven next year when they release it. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. Well, um, um, so. for, and just cause we're being a little, inside uh for listeners that aren't aware the current rumored plan for wrestlemania is that it will be taped in advance and in every match they will tape the heel or the face winning it and then we won't know who the official winner is until it airs on the network in order to avoid spoilers they're going to take both finishes it's it's a choose your own adventure wrestlemania yeah yeah it's it's fascinating uh, so let's move away from the, the King Brett match. We got two other things really to cover from this awesome in your house pay per view. Uh, number one is uh, the Hunter's Creek home in beautiful Florida. The big uh, horse giveaway. The, the, the whole thing was they're giving away. We're going to give away a house. <laughs> yeah. My favorite part was Vince McMahon going crazy for Todd Pettengale running to the back to get rakes. Get the rake. He was yep. going nuts. He was laughing his in the garage. In the and then uh, Stephanie Wyan and her her one year with WWF. Yeah, this was a fascinating uh, thing um, because they took supposedly took all of the entrance um, 
everyone that entered the contest and just threw them in a big bin. <laughs> I mean, and didn't 000. dig through it. Just just grabbed whatever was on top too. Now, what kind of contest that a company puts on where an eleven year old can win a house? <laughs> like, isn't there an age requirement? So, all right, yeah. Let's 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 go back because I I went and uh, I, I dove and I found the videos and the updates and articles and everything. You are correct. It was an 11-year-old that sent in the letter. When they called live on air, they dialed the wrong number at first. Yep. Dialed the actual number. His dad answered. You can hear the kid going nuts in the background because he hears the phone ring at home. He hears the phone ringing on TV. Hears his dad on both, so he knows they've won. The family had just moved because the dad got a new job. Right. And they were not about to move again to Florida. They just moved to like oh out west. It was like Utah or, or Nevada or somewhere from New York, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, so, yeah. Well, you, know, you know what? They, they moved from Queens to Henderson, Nevada. Okay, Nevada. I tr- you know how I know this, Kevin? Were you friends with that kid too? Did that kid get to carry out the flag? No, it's just that I've actually looked up Matt Pompaselli on Facebook. <laughs> I found him. I found him. It doesn't look like he he maintains it. Let's just go through. Uh, yeah, so I don't want to ruin this guy's life. Uh, but, you know, let's just go see the details of his about on Facebook. And the profile photo is, profile photo is a bunch of people. Uh, it looks like four of them are doing the Nation of Domination fist. Uh, I think it might be Pompaselli doing the Shawn Michaels uh, uh, muscle uh, flex when he comes out. And then there's another guy doing a crotch chop in the front. That's a great photo. Uh, but it says about Matt, yes, the WWE house in your house winner, just to get that out of the way. That's the most popular request. On top of that, I'm an avid sports fan, a friend of many, good dude, the boyfriend of a great girl, and joke teller. Uh, add king of the run-on sentences, too. And a guy that never shuts up. So that was Mr. Pompicelli. There it is. And that was the other thing, too. Not only did they win the contest, they literally just – before the internet. So, I mean, now the guy would get trolled completely. But they announced his name, like his last name, his first name, his whole name right on the thing. And and now the number on the phone, which you can listen, you know, each button's different tone, so you could figure that out. Yeah, and if it's Henderson, right, then it's a phone. 702 area code. <laughs> <laughs> He's your resident Vegas guy, uh, you know. Um, and then he, the family ends up selling the house less than six months later because they weren't going to move. For, and, uh, for they make, uh, 150? And, yeah, 150, 160,000 or something like that. Not too bad. Oh, How can the 11-year-old? Time, though. Oh, so we started property like then Florida. Is the house even still there? We've started right. a GoFundMe. <laughs> let's but, get, uh, let's get I mean, a library. Let's to, buy to the house. Just the house, yeah. All right, speaking of houses that have been given away, would you rather have that house or the Simpsons house? Remember when they gave away the Simpsons house? Where was that located? It was in Vegas. <laughs> Well, Which might answer my question. Springfield, Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they made a house that looked exactly like the Simpsons house and some new housing development and hmm. sold that off. And then uh, the people that that bought it or ended up with it got sick of it being a tourist destination. So they repainted it and it looks nothing like the house anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, there is one house I do want to check out because now we're on our um, house um, 
our, our house tangents. Uh, I want to drive to, I'm in Buffalo. I'm going to go to the Christmas story house this year for Christmas. No, nice. Oh, uh, nice. It's only three hours away. Idea. Yeah. It's in Cleveland. So. Cleveland, right. Go there and put some soap in my mouth and enjoy life. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how it is. Uh, so finally we get to our main event, which is Psycho Sid versus Diesel. A pretty good match. I was shocked at how athletic Kevin Ash was. Holy cow, before he had all of his injuries, he was great. Yeah. Did he have a knee injury at this point or no? Was this prior uh, prior I think he had a basketball one. Surgeries on his knees prior to this. Um this, this was he ended up picking up an injury in this match during that choke slam from Sid. He ended up wrecking his uh left elbow, uh t- taking the bump wrong. Should have worn a body glove elbow pad. Should have wore a body glove. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so uh, Diesel wins via DQ. What a way to end the pay-per-view. Um, uh, thanks to Tatanka and Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah. Bam Bam, Bam, Bam comes out for the save. Excuse me. Tatanka's the one that causes it. And, like, I mean, Diesel looks great. Sid is Sid in this match. But neither of them are wrestling like near seven footers. They're wrestling like average size wrestlers. All right, yeah, against they're moving each other. really hard. Um, Sid almost looks like a proto Brock Lesnar in a way. Like I'm, I'm not gonna be flash. I'm just gonna come out and hit you a lot. But he also seems really lost, and it kind of becomes obvious, you know, why Ted DiBiase is with him. Like he, there's not a chance in hell Sid called that match. Which it's usually your heel or your veteran will call the match. He looks lost half the time. Like he doesn't know what move to do next, what's happening. Maybe he's thinking about going and playing softball. I don't know. And he's in WWE at this time and he has the psycho nickname. So this is post the scissor attack on Arn Anderson at the hotel, correct? Right. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, his, his power bomb to, to Kevin Nash, to Diesel was impressive. He 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 for whatever reason he took Hogan's leg drop and he would hit the ropes and would do that jumping leg drop and man he could get some air on those leg drops and come down hard. He he was impressive, but you're right. He he looked lost in a lot of different sequences that he was a part of. So I I think the leg drop because um, not only did Sid use it and this is obviously after Hogan's gone now, right? I mean he doesn't yeah. come back. Uh, Mabel used it too. That was his yep. finish. Yeah, and Yoko was using. <laughs> they were all using it. Everyone was using it. But it makes more sense for a big guy like that to use, like but. Yoko and Mabel. Yeah, but Sid could get so much height on it though too. So, yeah, it's just fascinating. Um, so that was how you end your pay per view. Uh, but the WWE Network um had one last little gem. <laughs> yes, it did. That was so great. Did you see this, Matt? Uh, I, I, it's not striking me yeah, right now. The, so tell me about the, it. the saving the world commercial. Oh goodness, no! I didn't. Where there were aliens getting ready to attack, but then they oh. see a commercial for the WWE and they're like, "Nah, this looks good. We're not going to attack today." And then the commercial ends with WWE saving the world. Maybe who knows. <laughs> <laughs> Just marketing Crazy. genius. Marketing we, geniuses we, from the guy that brought you the one-size-fits-all, all-over <laughs> Bret Hart t-shirt. All-over Bret Hart t-shirt. Let's, let's hope WWE can save the world once again now. Yeah. Oh. 
So that um, concludes your in your house pay per view, uh, Matt. Now you said there was which, a couple. Of, which, well, uh, just like, sorry, Mister. No, I was gonna say, uh, and, and maybe Matt's getting into it, but you look at who was on the show, like Bam Bam and Tatanka run out then. Bam Bam, who had just made event to the WrestleMania. Yep. Um, and then if Matt's getting to like the dark matches, yep. you got people on there that should have been on a pay per view. That should have been, yeah. Taker, Undertaker, yeah. what's there? And ended up doing uh, a singles uh, singles match against Kama Mustafa. Well, Kama, the Supreme Fighting Machine at the time, they were just starting their uh, their feud because Undertaker had just defeated uh, King Kong Bundy um, at WrestleMania, and so now the next member of the Million Dollar Corporation that was going to go after Undertaker was Kama Mustafa. I think at this time. Maybe they had already done the stole the urn, melt it into. A, oh, actually, he stole the urn during the match, and yeah, he came out. Yeah, at WrestleMania 11, and he came out, and he had the chain wrapped around his neck. Um, so they ended up having uh, a singles match. Um, just, I know it was ended up being taped for uh, Coliseum Home Video. Um, I'm pretty sure that Taker fed, probably finished with the regular Tombstone Piledriver. We ended up in Watertown uh, a month or two later when they did that house show in Watertown. They ended up doing a casket match with Undertaker and Kama, and uh, Taker ended up winning that casket match in Watertown, New York. So kind of furthering along the feud and um, getting ready for – I ended up think they, they ended up doing their what, blow off at SummerSlam. They end up having a casket match at SummerSlam or something like that. Kama and uh, Undertaker, I think. This would have been 95. That would have been, let's see, Mabel and uh, Nash, the main event for the world title. I, I'm pretty sure it was Taker and Kama in 95. Yeah. So there was that match. And then um, you saw the run-in earlier in the night to finish the pay-per-view. Bam Bam was in his gear. Tatanka was in his gear. So they ended up doing a Bam Bam Bigelow versus Tatanka match. And uh, nothing jumps out as reminding me of it being super amazing or anything like that. Bam Bam ended up winning, uh, beating Tatanka as well. And then... Um, because Brett had done double duty and had wrestled twice that night, earlier in the night, against both Hakushi and Lawler. Uh, they ended up, WWEF at the time, ended up taping a match that ended up, uh, it was uh, on Monday Night Raw, like uh, the following month. It was like the first week of Raw, the first Monday Night Raw in June. Another King of the Ring qualifying match. So it was the British Bulldog. Um, who was still doing uh, the face run. He had not uh, turned heel yet. Um, no longer doing the Made in the USA uh, tag team with Luger because that had all fizzled out, I believe. Or maybe they were still in the process of doing it. Actually, no. Yeah, the next In Your House uh, pay-per-view, they ended up there was a tag uh, tag match between Yoko Owen and Luger and Bulldog. So, um, so getting the brother-in-law feud, and they ended up having a King of the Ring qualifying match against Owen uh, Owen Hart. And what was unique about this is that it ended up going to a 15-minute time limit draw with no winner, and uh, neither individual ended up moving on uh, to into the tournament. So. I guess they ended up throwing out this bracket. I don't remember off the top of my head if 
they ended up doing another match to replace this or whoever would have been pitted up with them automatically got a buy, I guess, into the tournament. I'm not sure. Uh, but neither of those guys, no, no, they would have had to have done another uh, bracket so that an eighth guy ended up being in the tournament. So, but yeah, so they ended up doing a 15 minute Broadway, I guess, to wrap up the night in Syracuse and uh, time limit draw. Okay. So kind of odd that there are two, one, they did three dark matches after the, the pay-per-view went off. Okay. Um, one, you had your world title match ended in DQ. So that would have been like your go home would have been DQ. They ended up deciding to do the Bulldog Owen to a draw a Broadway. Um, and the, the uh, one thing that really strikes me out though, is you just had Tatanka and Bam Bam in that final match, the Diesel Sid match. And then they went to Undertaker versus Kamala. And then they went back to, to Bam Bam versus Tatanka. Like, why not just do Bam Bam and Tatanka right after? They're already right there in the ring. Start. Oh, maybe they want to. Well, again, they were taping it probably for Coliseum video. And so wanted to give them their real entrances and all that stuff. So, Well, also, he's, beca- he's become a joke now. But you don't yet see the Russo style of booking, which he did bring some good things to it to have a logical progression. Hey, right. You know, I run to the ring and do something. You run to the ring to help someone out. Let's start a tag match. And it starts right now. And then you, you know, maybe you do a commercial break and then the match starts when they're in the ring. But it's a logical progression of events that you did not see beforehand. And it was that crash TV, like, go, go, go. Raw doesn't stop from the moment the show starts. It does not stop. Everything leads into something else, which was an exciting time. And you don't see that for the booking of these shows because you're right. That that following match should have just proceeded. They're already in the ring. It's already set up. Let's go. Um, yeah. So just a kind of couple little final thoughts too, is um, the pay-per-view generated 332,000 buys. The, the was, uh, the, I think it's the highest in your house out of all highest of them. Highest in your house. The first one. So people were just trying to figure out what is this? Cause this was different from the, at that, at the time, you know, when we grew up, it was the big four. And then in 93, they added King of the Ring to make it the big five, the June pay-per-view. So this was like the first extension off of the big five pay-per-views. So it ended up getting a pretty high buy rate because of the fact people weren't sure what to get. And with there being that, that a good chunk of time between um, WrestleMania and what would have been the end of June King of the Ring – so people were interested in figuring out, hey, what what is this, this two-hour special? Is it more of a glorified Monday Night Raw, or is it something, you know, a little bit bigger? Um, so, yeah, it ended up having a pretty decent buy rate. I mean, higher than what they would have expected, or people would have generally expected. Um, and the other thing, too, is I just kind of want to point out, <clears throat> Carlos Cabrera for the Spanish announce team, still doing commentary, which is still, still there. Still. <laughs> fascinating stuff. Just to kind of go to show you, uh, any last thoughts, uh, educator of uh, excellence uh, or uh, the BBC, the Blind Book uh, Challenge, the Mass Library, Kevin? Uh, I mean, it was fun revisiting the show. Like, I'm actually glad we're doing this project. Uh, you know, you look at everything on the network, and I think one of the problems is there's so much you don't know where to start. Right. And it was fun to have this this focus and this theme, and I'm actually really looking forward to it. For me, being there live, certainly, you know, I'm probably 15, 16 years old seeing this show. 
um, trying to rewatch it through the nostalgia goggles, I guess. And, you know, trying to, you know, this was my first uh, Syracuse pay-per-view. Actually, it was, uh, I think it was the only Syracuse pay-per-view that they have. I'd been to a bunch of other house shows um, prior to this, as well as past this, including a couple of Monday Night Raw tapings and so on. Um, and even the big Syracuse uh, Carrier Dome event that happened back in 2008-2009. Um, I don't know if it really aged that well. I mean, but then again, it's that time period, 95, that was the rebuilding year. Or it was just a low business year. You know, a lot of people crap on Kevin Nash and saying that he brought the business down. He didn't draw as a champion. Wrestling as a whole wasn't doing well in 95 um, so, and, um, this is your typical 95 B show era show. Um, just, I, I'm surprised that sending the, the, the fans home happy versus what finished the pay-per-view with the, the DQ finish. I don't think it aged that well. I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, for us too, you know, going back, if someone random just goes back and watches it, not that people are random, but. Um, we have more of a connection to it just because we were there and it, it actually took place in our area. Um, so it's fun to kind of see the building and, and stuff like that, you know, I think. And then, you know, of course, um, you know, I was able to order my one-size-fits-all T-shirt and uh, very excited about that. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I mean, that's all I have. Um, you know, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, Library, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hellions, whatever you call yourself today. Um, the the Kamala here. <laughs> what do you want? You uh, you like the Charles Wright of the uh, group? Uh, what do you uh, uh, what do you have to say? Anything? All right. So I want to say uh, thank you to all the listeners here on the Retro Network. There's many great podcasts and posts and all and videos and all sorts of excitement on this site. Uh, stay tuned for more from myself, from all of us, really, at the Retro Network. I want to thank both of you for joining me. I'm looking forward to this project as we go ahead. Um, if you would like to interact, uh, Treats and I, Matt, our host here, we are both on Twitter. Um, the educator is not and likes it that way. And sometimes Very I don't much. blame him. No. <laughs> Facebook is all I need, man. That's it. <laughs> Uh, so I'm online at Masked Library. Matt, you are? At Maddie Treats. There we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just want to thank everyone. Uh, thank, of course, the Retro Network for having us on. Uh, really being, uh, you know, giving us a platform to talk about this. And I want to thank you guys uh, for actually uh, getting on with me today and doing this. Uh, and also, um, yeah, hopefully everyone is safe. And uh, hopefully we can be, bring a little joy if you're listening to this and you are quarantined. So, that's all I got for you guys. I got nothing. I'm done. All right. I'm finished. I'm spent. You know, all right. We'll call, we'll call this a pinfall. All righty. One, two, three. Right. Kick out at two? No. No One, kick two, three. Out. We're no. going home. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next all right. time. All right. Later. Later.